Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Penham here. As always, and we have the returning Tom Nightingale as well. It's been about uh, five or six weeks, but he's finally back from his uh, drunken stupor with the uh, North America Villa Lions. I'm not calling him a drunk. It's been a long time. He's been recovering ever since. But uh, nonetheless, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa as we discuss the fixtures for the 2022-2023 seasons. Um, some outgoings and some potential incomings, transfer rumors, all that kind of stuff. We'll try to weed out which ones are BS and which ones have a little bit more truth behind it, or at least try to. We'll, we'll see how far we get with that. But anyways, Tom, how's it going for you? Yeah, man, good to be back. Good to be back after, yeah, I think it has been six weeks. Start of May, I think was my last one. So, And that's pretty accurate about the North America Villa meter. Um <laughs> I'm getting on now, so it takes me longer and longer to recover from uh, what was essentially a four-day bender. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we're so I think we're like in the sort of in the quiet after the storm, I guess, and probably before another storm of, of transfer stuff at some point. But um, good to see Villa getting some key business done early again. Like getting the Kamara signing nailed down is just feels great so early on, you know, and uh, Diego Carlos and everything. And now I think it's just. We're going to have a little spell, I think, now where we're trying to ship out some of those squad players. Let's see how successful we are with with uh, getting some of those names off our book. But yeah, uh, good to be back. I can't believe it's still week. How, how many weeks is it? Six weeks until the season starts. Oh, got to that point already where I'm basically just waiting for football to be back. Yeah, it's kind of, it feels kind of weird, to be honest. Like, uh, like we were saying for the hour we chatted before we started recording um, in traditional fashion, of course, uh, nonetheless, but kind of sitting back and thinking about it. It's nice to have like a couple weeks off after the season and then you get a little bored. And of course, August 6th being the the kickoff date against Bournemouth. And then we'll get into that, but it had to be Bournemouth, of course. If you want to get a storyline, that's one way to, to do it. But um, no, it, it's nice to kind of get back into the swing of things. And of course, with every, I guess, day that you have a bender, that probably adds on a week. So there's about four weeks and then you need a little mini vacation. So we'll, we'll give that as the excuse. But that's uh, pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but nonetheless, let's let's kick over to the fixtures. Of course, they came out earlier in the uh, last week. Of course, you'll hear this on bright and early on the Monday morning. So hopefully everyone has a, a great Monday. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll kind of run through it quickly here. Um, there'll be more key months, of course, than others. So we might spend a little bit more time discussing those. But of course, August 6th coming very quickly. We know we have a World Cup um, in November and December. So you know what, it's going to be a little bit of a different season, but uh, we really haven't had a normal season since before COVID. So what's a shock? You might as well add that into the the group as well. And keep in mind, a lot of these games right now are 
posted for a Saturday, but with changes that happen throughout a season, don't be shocked if some of these turn into Sundays or midweek games or whatever, because you never know with how things go. So of course, like we were kind of touching upon August 6th, Bournemouth, it's happening, going all the way to the Vitality Stadium. I don't know, Tom. I mean, we might as well kind of give this one a little bit of a mini discussion now before we kick on. We all know what happened. We stayed up. They went down. VAR screwed them over. And apparently they're still hard done by, even though I still to this day say that we got screwed over so hard in that same campaign against Crystal Palace where they just decided Lansbury can't score because I don't know why. I'm still just fumbling about why that ever happened. But nonetheless, Karma does eventually come back and sometimes help us. So that's what I'll go about. But how are you feeling about this one in particular? Because I sit back and look at it and we all know how going against promoted teams can be. We know how Watford went last season with a 3-2 loss to kick off the season. But, you know, it is Bournemouth at the end of the day. I think we have to be a little bit more confident. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, I just... I said this last year, like with the when the fixtures came out with Watford, and was unfortunately proven correct. Like in for my in my book, there is no worse way to start a season than um, particularly away at a promoted team. I just hate it because you have that horrible combination of circumstances where like they're undoubtedly going to be extra up for it right first game back, um, but then at the same time as as the on paper definitely the better team, we we're going to be expected to get a result. So it's kind of like a I mean, obviously, if you win, you get the win. But it feels a bit like a no-win situation because either we win and it's like, oh, well, it's Bournemouth away, you should have won, or we don't win and it's and and, and we failed to beat a promoted team on opening day again. Um, I don't like it at all. I'd have preferred that month, you know, August, Bournemouth away, Everton home, Palace away, West Ham home, Arsenal away. In all honesty, I'd have, I'd have preferred if that month was flipped because I said when I was waiting for the fixtures to come out, I, I, I wanted a kind of like a big boy to start. I really did because I wanted a chance to lay down a marker first game of the season, make a real statement about our aspirations for the season and our progress on the pitch. And like starting at like Arsenal away or even West Ham at home, I think would have done the trick for that as well. Would have been a really nice way to start and test ourselves. Um, Whereas like Bournemouth away, oh, I don't know. I can't honestly say that I'm looking looking forward to that game um i do have i do hold out hope that i think bournemouth are gonna have a real struggle on their hands to get close to staying up this year like they're gonna need some huge investment this summer so obviously it's hard to assess really how the game's gonna gonna be because they've got a big big summer ahead of them um but apart from bournemouth away like i don't like that as a start but then everton home palace away west ham home arsenal away i'm pretty happy with as an opening month i think it gives us a real chance to like test ourselves against some teams who have been top eight, top seven, top eight for, you know, consistently. Um, Be interesting to see where Everton are at. They're going to be a bit of a wild card. Like, are they going to be as crap as they were last year? Um, You know, we'll we'll see. But, you know, as as a start, once, if we can, if we can avoid the banana skin of the, of the Bournemouth defeat, there's a chance, I think, for us to have, a real sort of like lay down a mark a month to start the year, which obviously would be fantastic. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And I just, first I want to apologize. There's a weed whacker going on not too far outside uh, the house here. So if someone can hear that, then apologies, but nonetheless, I mean, I guess there's kind of the old adage to, you have to play everyone the same amount of times at 
throughout the season anyway. So it really, I guess, doesn't really matter at in some kind of level of a mentality point of view, but you do kind of have to sit back and look at it, how Villa starts seasons. And I mean, going against a big boy, I always think of, was it the 13, 14 season when we beat Arsenal on the, on the opening day at the Emirates? It was uh, Tony Tech, Moon, wasn't it? Tony uh, Moon. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's about as far as he'll get mentioned on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, him and Benteke scoring in the gesture kits, as I like to call them. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it would have been nice to kind of get into that mark, especially with a side that, maybe like a, even like a United or an Arsenal, which didn't finish the season necessarily well and had a bit of a dip and disappointment at the end. It would have been nice to kind of continue that and maybe gain some momentum. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, we didn't lose three, two to Man City after being up two nil in the final day. So I guess we'll see how that kind of correlates over, whether it's a little bit of a hangover or we kind of start off fresh with a stronger mentality, but I mean, you know what? The month of August isn't too bad. Like you said there, Tom, like you said, Bournemouth, Everton palace, um, West Ham and Arsenal, of course, with Bournemouth palace and uh, Arsenal being the away games and West Ham and Everton being the home games. I mean, really when you look at the end of that month too, with West Ham and Arsenal, I don't really know what to expect from either of those sides. We know West Ham have been very impressive over the last couple of seasons. And I don't know, you always wonder how long they can really keep hold of the likes of Declan Rice. And I think they're in the Europa Conference League or UEFA Europa Conference League or whatever the heck it's called nowadays um, too. So you wonder how much that'll kind of play into their season too. So I don't know, eventually we have to beat them again. It feels like it's been a very long time. I mean, and then you're going jumping right into September. Um, you, you kick off with Man City at home on September 3rd. Um, hello, Jack Grealish, um, just to get that right out of the way. Um, going September 10th away to Leicester, the 17th at home to Southampton. I mean, it's a very quick month, of course, and there's an international break before going into October against Leeds. But it's not really a poor month. Like, I'm sitting there thinking about it. If you look at August, I would expect probably at least I'm hoping for at least three wins going into September. You know what? I think we could at least get a win loss and a draw. And I wouldn't say that's a poor month. And then you start going into October. And like I said, I wanted to kind of go through some of this a little bit quicker than others because there's more key kind of components of the season. You go into October, you kick it off October 1st away at Leeds. Then you go away at Forest. Um, a week after you, you go at home to Chelsea away to Fulham. Um, after that, it's what Brentford at home and then Newcastle. I mean, it's, it's a jam packed month, but Tom, if you're sitting there looking at October in particular, which is probably one of the busiest months of the season that we're going to have, like there's a few tricky fish, uh, like, well, I guess maybe Chelsea is probably the trickiest. And I guess maybe you'd say Forrest as well. Cause you don't know really what to expect because it's been so long since they've been up, but you sit and look at an important month like that and you think, you know what, there's some definitely three pointers to be had, you'd have to say. Yeah, it's a, this season's going to be a really interesting one because there are going to be, there are several key points through the season, I think, like, you know, we'll, we'll get onto it, but like how we going straight into Liverpool and Spurs and to set Christmas time after the World Cup, right, is one. But I think October's the first one because like you say, Southampton home, 17th September, don't play again till the start of October. And then... So, you know, for I know we have a lot of players on international duty these days, which obviously is is what you want if you want to be a successful team, but it has mm-hmm. its drawbacks, right? So if we can come through an international break unscathed in terms of injury and stuff, then October is going to be one of the first real times you're looking at. So like, okay, there's a real chance to build momentum here. 
because like Leeds away, Forest away is not, they're not easy games, but you'd like to think we'll go there aiming to win those games. Chelsea at home, I don't, uh, I don't like, I, mean, I don't like playing Chelsea, obviously, but Chelsea at home isn't a game that scares me. You like, don't know C- how they're going to be that earlier in the season too. Yeah. So. Like City and Liverpool, I know obviously we had the 7-2 Liverpool a couple of years ago, whatever, but like City and Liverpool are games that I never expect us to win. I don't have the same fear with Chelsea. So like, there's no reason if I'm, if I'm, you know, if we've got, had a decent start to the season, we come through the international break on skate. By that point, I'd be, if I was Gerard, I'd be looking at that month and I'd be saying, there's no reason, there's no reason we can't win every game in that month. Obviously we won't, but there's no reason we can't that run of fixtures. Chelsea at home being the only real like big boy. And so that's another month. Like if you can put together a run and build some momentum there, you, you know, ahead of the World Cup, then obviously you've got Man United and Brighton. Like there's no reason that we can't, be in a very strong position going into that world cup break yeah no 100 and like if you look at it too i mean it's easy to look at an entire season schedule and say like oh here's the points of attack where you really want to take advantage of course you want to win every game and it's easier to look at it now saying yeah we can do this until you get into the season and realize maybe it wasn't what you expected or maybe yeah. it's better than you expected or it's just average um which it kind of just was a mixture of all of those at some point various points throughout last season but you look at even September 17th against Southampton. I mean, arguably, like, I know we can beat Southampton. We did it last season at Villa Park very comfortably, and that's a home game. Then you have that international break, which, of course, in traditional Villa fashion, we never know really what to expect after an international break. But, I mean, I guess to list off successive games like I already, like I already have, you have Southampton, Leeds, and Forest. Three games that for there's really no excuses, in my opinion, not to have a good run into that going into that Chelsea game. And we've we touched on it throughout last season and we just didn't do it. We didn't beat a traditional big top six side. And that has to be a key component that changes the season if we're going to do anything. So and that's another thing. I mean, if you go into that Chelsea game with a bit of momentum and you pull off a decent result, then right after that, you're going into a. Fulham, Brentford, and uh, of course, you never really know what to expect with Newcastle. They could be just absolute world beaters next season, but you go into another good run. So it's important too, of course, because we're going to get right on to the World Cup coming up, of course, and that's coming um, through halfway through November. And of course, uh, we don't have any Premier League football between, I think it's what, the 13th to the 25th, returning on the 26th Boxing Day of December. So, I mean, even before that, going into November, you have United at home. I mean, are they going to be any better or worse next season? I, you, you never really know. Uh, there's always going to be a lot of hype about that. Same with Brighton. They seem to be getting absolutely gutted by <laughs> the big boys so far this summer, or at least on in the process of being gutted um, in key positions with Basuma going to Spurs and it seems like Cucurella might go to Man City, which is two massive losses for them. And there's no ways around that. But then, I mean, that's it for November. You're going into that. And no matter how it is, Tom, you're going to have to sit and stew about it. But coming out of that into the last few days of December, I mean, if if you're going to pull off an impressive win, it's probably one of the times to do it with uh, Boxing Day being Liverpool at home and then Spurs away on the 31st. I mean, you're looking at that schedule, and I kind of mentioned how there's a bit of an advantageous run-in to pick up some key points and get a lot of positive momentum going. But, I mean, 
after what over a month off a month break you never really know how other sides are going to react yet your own but i mean those two games in particular at the end of the year that's for me that's a massive marker of where you're roughly about you're going to probably finish in the season isn't it yeah yeah christmas is horrible isn't it <laughs> oh. this year those two games but you're right like obviously it's you know we're speculating and looking a long way ahead but like that is <laughs> that if we can lay down a mark at that Christmas period, that's great. Especially then you go into January. January is lovely. Wolves home, Leeds home, Southampton away. Like obviously they're all particularly Southampton away. They're all like potential banana skins, but like that's, if we can, if we can finally get a soft um, FA cup third round draw in there as well, if we can avoid United for God's sake, um, because I think we all we're all I think most Villa fans are on the same page that I want a non I want a non league side. That's all yeah. I want. I just I just want to see Villa at like uh was it Super Marine or whatever or something like that. I, yeah. I, I want to be one of those teams that can actually witness that. I just I think I think all Villa fans are on the same page really that we want a deep cup run. And I actually yeah. think, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about this today and in the various pods to come over the summer, I expect. But Breaking into that, breaking into the top six, top seven, is going to be so so difficult. I I actually I think that focusing on trying to win a cup is not a bad strategy for if we want no. to get into Europe. Like I, I certainly don't think it's harder than breaking into the top seven in the Premier League is like that. That's such a difficult task. We were talking about it last last season a lot. That stepping up from surviving relegation to tenth, eleventh in the table or whatever is. That's one thing. Stepping up from like 11th or whatever to even 7th is a whole different thing. Like that's such a bigger jump than jumping from 17th to 11th. Um, so if we can, you know, if the if, if the cup draws can be kind to us for once and we can, you know, I want to see us playing. If we get Premier League teams in cups, I want to see us putting our full, fully, fully strength teams out and going to win. Uh, cup ties, treating them like key league games, you know. So if we got a nice draw in Jan- in, in in the third round, then January is a really nice month, which is good because I'll let you take February. February's horrible. It's yeah. I mean, kicking it off. I mean, of course, there's there's that little bit of a, a break between January and February, of course, which should be for the FA Cup. And of course, we haven't even mentioned the Carabao Cup. But that'll be played prior to that at some point. I'd imagine that'll, of course, that'll kick off here probably in what probably late August, early September or whatever, um, and kind of see how we go from there. Hopefully we get better draws than that as well oh, to yeah. start with and don't have to play literally Barrow. And then next thing you know, you're playing Chelsea. Um, it's kind of a bit of a kick in the teeth, but nonetheless, it'd be nice to have a few decent draws. And you know what? If we have to play one of the big boys eventually, it'd be nice if it was a little bit later um, mm. just to kind of experience a little bit of that momentum. And I think having some of that momentum – even though it's a few more games, adds a little bit more positivity going into the season um, at certain points. But like we said, February, <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna beat a big boy, this is probably again one of the times you want to do that. Uh, February fourth, home at Leicester, away to Man City on the eleventh, eighteenth, uh, home at Arsenal, and of course rounding out the month against Everton, which I think they're in even more massive trouble. To be honest, I think just haven't seen anybody coming in. It seems like everyone wants to go out. And uh, I don't know, it seems like a place where not a lot of players seem to want to go at this point. Um, so, I mean, that again, we'll, we'll get into that. But I mean, that there's three games there. And again, I'm not really sure our Leicester going to be any better or worse um, this coming season. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe not really having um, 
I guess a lot of uh, international football um, to really pl- play for maybe one thing um, that takes a little bit off their plate, but uh, or not international. Um, you know what I mean? Europa League. European. <laughs> European. <laughs> but anyways, I guess it is international. You're going across countries, but people know what I mean. But uh, regardless of that, of course. And then, I mean, you're going into March again um, with what? Palace at home, West Ham, Bournemouth. And again, it's it's another quick month. We're, we're noticing a few of these. Of course, there's going to be a few breaks in between. But I mean, Tom, like you're, it's if if we're ever going into a season where we have a few decent runs, and then there's just you just get hammered out of nowhere with a few really tough ones in quick succession. It really feels like it's this one, isn't it? Yeah, it's another March is another like what I'll call momentum month for me. Like I think yeah. August could be a momentum month if we get pull out good results like October like we said that really busy October that's a momentum month not so much November and December for both because of the fixtures and because of the World Cup January could be a momentum month February's tough March like considering how busy April is again with six games crammed in there like if we can have a good March we always used to have terrible marches didn't we under I think it was under O'Neill particularly never used to bloody win in March but if we can have a good march there, then you set yourself up well. Because I, I don't like our run-in in May. I don't think that's very nice at all. But if you can march in April, hopefully by that point, you know, we're, we're where we want to be, which is if we can be, if we can go into April, I would say at the end of March and be either in the top eight or within, say, one win of breaking into the top eight, then I'll be happy with where we are. Um, like I said, breaking to top seven is really difficult. I just want to see... I just want to see clear progress on the pitch from Villa next year. And for me, that's, you could argue even top 10, but particularly if we're, if we're, if we're anywhere around eighth, I think we've done well. Well, that's the thing too. Like I sit back and I look at the schedule and I mean, for as long as I can remember, I mean, aside from the promotion campaign where, I mean, you, you can't end the season any better and I guess maybe survival, but you know what? Like we just don't have very decent endings to the season it's Mm. you you kind of flirt here and there with a you know what a decent result where you think you'll turn it around and they just I mean last season was very evident I mean you kind of had that little bit of an uptick the season before but I mean the last two games Spurs were in a mess and Chelsea just weren't playing for anything and were prepping for the Champions League final so I mean that was probably a little bit like advantageous from our perspective and maybe didn't really mean much to them so you have to sit back and look at that too. But of course, like, like you said, going into, I mean, March is another month where you want to take advantage and you know what West Ham are in there. And they're again, like I said before, another side that I think we, they're, they're not a top four side, but they're going to be, if you want to be in the top 10, you're going to have to compete with them and you're going to eventually yeah. have to get a result against that side. So at some point I would like to see that. And of course, like April is just a mental month. It's probably the busiest month of the season. If not, it's pretty close to October at least. And of course, April 1st, Chelsea away, Forest at home. Um, You have Newcastle at home as well. Brentford away, Fulham at home, and you finish the month off against United. It's, uh, I mean, I, I sit back and I look at that and there's probably at least, what, four 
results where I think we could probably at least get over, you'd expect probably three points and a few that we probably need to at least draw to. Um, I'm honestly scared in a kind of humorous way to even get a result against United because it seems like that just cursed us as soon as we actually finally beat them. Um, so I don't know if that's something that we have to keep in mind for this yeah. season. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, it is a massive month and you did touch on May as well, uh, final month of the season, which is interesting. Apparently, with how the schedule is so far, we'll only play one Sunday and that's on the final day. I'm sure that'll change with cups fixtures and all that, but you have wolves away. I mean, it's not a, it's not a very, very nice uh, final few games Spurs at home, Liverpool away. And then you finish off against Brighton at home on the final day of the season on May 28th. I mean, when you sit back and you kind of look at the final two months, Tom, I mean, It'd be nice. I I guess the thing from last season that maybe made a lot of people, I wouldn't say kind of tune out of following the club or really even bothering with it. But I think a lot of people just kind of accepted where we were, knew we're going to finish roughly lower mid table or somewhere around there. And they're okay with that. But I mean, when you're looking at the few run-ins we have mixed in with the few tough results, I mean, there's not really an excuse. I kind of felt like last season when, you're playing Burnley twice in a row in the bounce and they're fighting for their lives. I mean, you can expect a tough result there and things like that. And of course, Man City on the final day. And like I said, we have Tottenham and Liverpool in the final month as well. But I mean, for me, I feel like there's enough of, I I guess, a blend of winnable versus very tough games. Whereas you could have one where I think it's like, I don't know if it's Bournemouth or Forest or something like that. The first five games they have, I think three or four of them are against like the top six of last season or something ridiculous. One of the promoted sizes, or maybe they all do have terrible initial run-ins, but I mean, you're looking at the end of this season and you're thinking, you know what, we could be 10th. We could be 13th. We could be eighth kind of on the precipice of really achieving something, but really at the end of the day, I know it's really easy to say right now, but if we're going to do anything, we're going to have to finish off strongly. And I know we've already kind of hinted towards that and suggested that, but there's really, for me, whether it's Spurs are going for the league somehow under Antonio Conte, or they're just going for top four, or they're, they're in the champions league and they're still in the latter stages or Liverpool are trying to do the quadruple again or something like that. For me, I mean, this season, there just really isn't any excuse not to go into those games. And, you know, I wouldn't say expect to win, but go in there and really give it your all and try to come away with something at least. May's, May could be really May could be really intense this year because yeah. obviously, like, again, we're speculating completely, but it's not that beyond the realms of possibility to think that you go into May, Wolves, Spurs, Liverpool, Brighton. Don't know about Wolves. I think they'll be, I think they'll be mid in sort of like, mired in mid-table obscurity by that point but like Spurs Liverpool Brighton you know we could be going in if we're knocking on the door of top seven which we hope we will be obviously by going Mm -hmm. into the last month of the year then it could be us pushing to get a couple of big wins to get into that eighth or even that seventh spot Spurs I think you know Spurs could be 
still in like embroiled in the fight for top four i think if they uh, i mean there's a chance they might push for the title but i think it's unlikely um but they, they could be really you know needing to win for top four liverpool could be in like you say in the middle of the title race and other trophies as well and then brighton home on the last day honestly the way things are going for brighton so far they might they might go into that game needing to win to stay up do you know what i mean so there could yeah. be there could be so much to play for in may but i'll just settle to be honest for if we can get to that run in April, Forest, Newcastle, Brentford, Fulham is a lovely run of games in April. If we can come out of that run and still be in with a shot of finishing top seven, top eight, then I would back us going up against teams like Spurs or Liverpool to, you know, really go for it and maybe make a statement. I don't know. I just, all I want is to get to get to the final month of a season and have you know, a carrot still dangling, something to play for, something to push for. Um, if we can get to that stage this year, then I'm I'm happy, really. Because like I said, breaking into top seven is going to be so difficult. But I just want to see us give it the best go that we can. Because it's been so many, it just feels like it's been so many years. I used to love those. Obviously, they were stressful when you're in the middle of them. But I used to love those races for top six and stuff under O'Neill. Like if we can get back to at least pushing for that, it'll be a great time, I think, to be a Villa fan. Yeah, and it's all about momentum too. Like, I mean, how nice would it be to go into the final month and, you know what, maybe we're even higher than we expected and you can afford to have a few poorer results. Like, I mean, it would be just nice to finish off strongly for once at least and go into something with more positive momentum because, I mean, I think that's going to be the biggest question mark this season going in from last season is how how do we react and how do we start when you have kind of that initial... Um, I guess bonus of I don't know you could go on a, a winning streak of three games going into a, a couple tough fixtures and kind of keep that momentum going I think for me I mean any club would like it but I mean if we can start strong and finish relatively positive and have really good moments in between I, I don't really see any excuse why we can't finish anywhere between seventh to probably ninth or tenth and I would say that would be successful you know what I, to be honest and I mean we'll, we'll get into um podcasts throughout the summer in regards to predictions and stuff like that when we get closer to the season but to be honest I would take ninth or tenth and a cup yeah. or a amazing cup run and you fell a little short or something like that I think there just needs to be some sign of clear progress whether that means we go for both cups and we get really far and only win one or somehow you never know we did the domestic double wouldn't that be amazing um i, I doubt that's gonna happen but um nonetheless i think there has to be a real kind of proof of concept this season or you know what then it's gonna be another summer of kind of muttering around and wondering yeah. if it's gonna be ripped up and started all over again yeah. you can only really do that so many times before it just becomes old and annoying and it just we've just become a a, a team again where we're fighting to stay up and we, we, we went through too many seasons like that not too long ago in the yeah. last decade where I sit back and think, God, like I would just love to be a mid table side. So maybe we shouldn't um, take too much advantage of that at times as well. I think that's the, like moving away from like the fixtures now and just talking more generally like big picture. I just, um, I do get the feeling this season, the summer, the way the summer's gone so far, the way we ended and all the, last season and all the sort of messaging coming out of the club and the way that like Perslow and Gerard are conducting themselves or whatever. I think there are, they'll have this marked down as a, a, a hugely important season for us because 
I don't think the expectation will be to qualify for Europe, but I very much think the expectation is going to be that we are in the race to qualify for Europe. I don't, it doesn't really bear thinking about, I don't know what happens if we get to like April and we're like 13th, 14th this season. That's going to be a lot more damaging. That would be a lot more damaging this season than it was last season. Because last season was a real transitional season, what with everything that happened in the summer. And then Mm -hmm. also with, you know, obviously sacking Smith and bringing Gerard in, in, when, when was it, like November, October, November. So you're basically ripping up and starting again. So I think where we were last season was about on par for where we should have expected to be. Whereas this year, I, there won't be a... Realistically, I don't think there'll be a single Villa fan that if you ask them, where do you expect Villa to finish this year? I I think very few fans would say, honestly, bottom half of the table. Even like 11th. I think the, you know, I think the general expectation is going to be that we are at a minimum somewhere in those 8, 9, 10 you know, that, that, that cluster. Um, I definitely think the way things are going so far, I think that's a reasonable expectation and a reasonable hope, mm-hmm. but it is that thing, isn't it? Of like, if you get, if you get to eight March, April, and that's very clearly not gonna, not gonna be the case. I don't, I just, oh, I really don't want to be in a position where we have to sort of like rip out the foundations and build from scratch. Do you know what I mean? But I think that probably is what Perslow and Co would do if we were in that situation. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a, it's a really, really important season. If we can finish, if we can finish eighth or ninth or 10th, even for, this is just one man's opinion, but for me, that's enough to show that actually we are moving forward. We're still going to have Gerard undoubtedly attract bigger names than you know smith did that's just become very obvious hasn't it over the last over the last six months or whatever and that won't you know (laughs) yeah i mean but that won't change if we finish you know if we finish ninth that attraction doesn't go away no you know that we'd still be able to build again or whatever it's just that if we my real fear is not taking a significant and clear step forward but i mean i guess i'm just i'm defining football fandom aren't I? <laughs> yeah like every football fan wants to see their team progress but i think this is last year was okay that we didn't it wasn't ideal but it was okay but this year there really has to be a noticeable step forward i think well and it, for me it's about i mean if we're consistent at one thing last season it was about being very inconsistent and very streaky yeah. especially under gerard i mean if you're going to show real progress too it's about having more positive streaks than negative. So instead of going on, say, two or three wins on the bounce, maybe it's four or five or three with a few decent, really promising draws that you can build on and then get back on that win train and not going through. I mean, we're going to have a spell eventually at some point where we probably lose two or three games. You have to accept that unless you are City or, yeah, I don't know, you know, at Liverpool, whatever. So there is that to expect, but... I mean, when you look at the additions made, um, I mean, I'm, we're still fully expecting and we'll, we'll get on the transfers here in just a minute with the likes of Trezeguet and what's going to go on with um, El Ghazi and Traore as well. And um, we don't know what's going on with Dougie Louise too. And Carney Chocomeca, is he going to stay this season or will he go? Um, will he sign a extension or not? I mean, there's lots to kind of think about. And when you see incomings and potential names too, which we'll touch upon, I mean, it almost feels like there's really no excuse. And there is that kind of mentality that Gerard kind of mentioned when he was at Rangers and that he wants to bring to Villa. We'll give you everything, but there are no excuses. 
and going into this season and you're going to assume Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings and hopefully Cameron Archer are rounding out that three, um, I guess, to be determined on Keenan Davis, even though I assumed he will be sold, even though I'm sure he'll be given a brief chance, if anything, in preseason from what I've been reading. But you look at the midfield with Buendia and Coutinho and Ramsey and McGinn, and um, I'm assuming you'd have Sanson in there as well. And I mean, to be determined and Kamara and Nakamba and defensively, of course, we can, the list goes on and on, but I mean, we have the depth, we have the skill. It's really now, I think with the few extra additions that can be made, I think those are going to be most vital. And for me, it's really just, it's time to execute. Like at what point is the whole, well, we're just not very good or we need more depth and yada, yada, yada. At some point it's, it's going to become an excuse. So yeah. for me I, this season, there is none. I think you like you touched upon it with like, like we're going to, we're going to lose to at least a couple of teams that we really should be, you know, like it happens every season. Though. Yeah, That's... exactly. But I think the thing now is that like, those have to be the blips this yep. year. Like I'm looking at last year's results, even under Gerard, like not even counting the terrible run where we lost five in a row, or whatever it was before Smith went, like even under Gerard, you cannot have those blips anymore where like February, of this season just gone threw away a two goal lead at home to Leeds lost at lost at Newcastle lost at home to Watford then we won three in a row without conceding and then we lost lost at lost at West Ham lost at home to Arsenal lost at Wolves got hammered by Spurs drew away at Leicester like those runs and then the run even to finish the season okay lost two one at home to Liverpool one goal defeats Liverpool you can't really you know but then failed to beat Palace at home failed to beat Burnley at home threw away a two goal lead at City like we're getting to a point, I think, quite quickly now where like that, though that those things aren't good enough anymore. No. You know, Villa are inconsistent and have been a mid table, you know, have been a mid-table team. But if we want to get serious, like those kind of runs are just aren't acceptable anymore. So if we can just shore up, turn turn a few of those, you know, disappointing draws home to Palace, home to Burnley, turn those into one goal wins, turn some of the losses, like losing what losing one nil at home to Arsenal, turn that even into like a one-one draw. If we can start taking those steps, just those little steps, right, where we can say, oh, last season we'd have lost this game. This yeah. season we drew it. Last season we'd have thrown away this lead. This season we hung on to it. Those, those are, That's the step we need to take this year. And I think talk, talking about the squad, even now, if you dealt now, sell off a few pieces, you know, like Trezeguet or whatever. But if you, even if you dealt at incomings now and you stopped, I genuinely strongly believe that we have one of the strongest squads out outside last season's like top seven yeah. outside of the European places. We've got one of the strongest squads already. Look at the depth compared even to the start of last year. Look at the depth we have. Coutinho and Buendia were fighting for a place. And then even if you play, even if you find a way to play the two of them together, which I really hope we do this year, that means probably you've got Bailey and one of Watkins or Ings on the bench as a consistent thing like that. That depth is crazy compared to where we were. Midfield as well. We were talking before we started recording, like obviously uh, we were all going to be pinning a lot of hopes on Bubaka Kamara this year. <laughs> Hopefully he turns out to be the player that we we hope he is and we need him to be. But if he does, then suddenly that midfield, if you're thinking we're playing either two up top and one of Coutinho and Buendia or we're playing Watkins or Wings up top and then Coutinho and Buendia together, you're looking at a midfield three where Kamara's probably going to be the first name on the team sheet even now. And then you've got Kamara, Ramsey. Say you've got Kamara, Ramsey, McGinn or whatever. It means that depending on sales, as it stands on the bench, you'd have Louise, you'd have Ramsey, you'd have Chukwumeka, you'd have Nakamba. 
we're hearing talk that we might we're, we're looking for another number eight as well. You've got to assume that some combination of Ram, some combination of Sanson, Louise, Chuck Maker are going to leave. I really, I really hope we only lose one of those. I think you can only afford to lose one, to be honest, yeah. with the with how busy the season's going to be and how stop start it's going to be, especially around Christmas. And especially talking like we, especially talking, we want deep cup runs. You're yeah. going to come up against Premier League teams at some point in those cup runs. You're going to need to be able to put out strong teams. Not everyone's going to be fit, you know. And that's the kind of depth. There's nothing wrong with stockpiling quality players in depth. Like I'm sure that people like Morgan Sanson and Carney Chuck will make are upset. They're not getting game time, but if we want to be a successful club, even if we're just defining success as being top eight and getting to cup semifinals, quarterfinals, semifinals, even you need to have players of that quality who can't get into your team. It's the only way forward. Yeah. Um, and so I just hope that, we can strike that balance where we can keep some of those squad players happy, happy enough, and but also get deep enough cup runs where they can still get enough game time where they're kind of happy they're staying sharp or whatever. You know, that's that's one of the core aims I think for us this year. Um, but already, like you look at, sorry, just gonna say, you look at centre back depth already. Like last season, start of last season, we had what Mings. We had Ming's concert and then a huge drop off to Courtney Hawes and Axel Tuanzebe yeah. as options. That was a no disrespect to Courtney Hawes. So you'd certainly come up with big moments talking about winning at United earlier, you know. Um, but that was a huge drop off in quality between Ming, Ming's and concert to those two. Now, I don't even know. I think a lot of Villa fans, not even entirely sure who our first choice central defensive partnership is going to be. For my money, it's going to be Mings and Diego Carlos. I, I don't buy into this thing that Diego Carlos is going to replace is going to replace Mings in the team. I think he's there to make Mings better and to yeah. form a better partnership with Mings. Um, and then, so if you have that, you're suddenly looking at Esri Concer, Callum Chambers as your backup centre backs. Huge upgrade on where we were last season, you know. And these are the steps. It's great to see Villa taking these steps, but it's going to need to be reflected in on 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 field progress if it's going to be sustainable. Well, that's the thing though, because like people will go, "Oh, you can't have." That. I think that's why people think assume Mings is going to leave, and of course, Kanza might take a little bit longer to get back to full fitness, mm-hmm. and we might not even see him until September, anyways, or something like that. Um, I mean, you do kind of sit back and look at it and think, I mean, particularly with the center backs, that's that's higher quality, like you said. But when people ooh and on question about who's going to leave because it's too good to be true, realistically, you probably need about five center backs throughout the whole season. When have Villa ever been able to do that? And it's not about signing someone for me and going, you're going to be the starter. You're the main man. We're past that where we sign, say, a Mings and basically that's it because you know what? That's going to we're going to pin all our hopes and dreams. You're selling a long term project over a few years where, okay, you know what? Maybe your wage packet gets boosted a little bit because you're not going to play as much or you're going to play less, but there's going to be other opportunities because we want to go into these cup runs and we're selling this project of hopefully getting into Europe and then there's going to be more games. We're building a bigger, more quality squad because we want to have more success. So I understand when people, and like sometimes I get skeptical too and I get a little worried and think it's too good to be true, but 
realistically, unless you're uh, a Leicester with an amazing title winning season, or I don't know what Sheffield United, when they were super close to getting a European spot in their uh, initial campaign or Wolves, of course, their initial one getting a European spot too. You're going to be very, very lucky to have a very thin squad and get through a whole season without many injuries or issues and finish where you want to finish and get at one of those spots. So you you have to, at the end of the day, you have to invest in more quality because I mean, do people want to go back to the days when we're signing Danny Drinkwater to hopefully think that he'll solve the midfield issue? Like it does boggle my mind a little bit. It's uh, I think a good one talking about the depth is like in midfield, like, I, I was really impressed with Tim Erogbenham every time we saw him last year. But I think he's probably going to go out on loan to QPR and, and, and join join Michael Beale. But say that he's still he's still at say he's still at Villa this year, hasn't been loaned out. No disrespect, Tim. I don't mean this in a bad way, Tim, at all, because he's a really, really, really talented youngster. I don't want to see him anywhere near the pitch this year, really, because I think really like, and it's not anything against him. I just think that spoke to the lack of the lack of depth or, you know, we weren't trusting Sanson. And so what's the point in having like Sanson as a depth option if he's never actually going to be trusted to play? Whereas, you know, I want this year, if we can go in with our depth options as like Douglas Louise, if he stays, you know, or you sign a new number eight and then suddenly uh, you're thinking, are you dropping John McGinn or are you dropping Jake? I mean, you're not, can't see you dropping Jacob Ramsey really. But if we sign a new number eight with the intention of him playing, he's going to have to replace one, of Jacob Ramsey and John McGinn, which was kind of unthinkable even last year. But these are the steps that you, these are the steps you want to see your club taking. I think like I've been a bit precious in the past about not being, having a strong emotional connection to like the Dean Smith era of Villa. And so I don't want to see us like ruthlessly replacing players who have been great servants for the, for the club. But at the same time, you do need to, least slowly but surely keep building up not only the quality of your starting 11 but your strength in depth and I really see that from Villa so far um so I don't know I just I have I have cautiously high hopes for this season I think we'll I think in the transfer market probably will sign a backup we've got to sign a backup left back haven't we even though I think I mean I think Ashley Young will come back in some capacity um but no disrespect to him I think a lot that most Villa fans would agree don't really want to see him on the pitch very often certainly not as often as we saw him on the pitch last season um so I think backup left back will come in we might well sign another quality number eight and then if we do those pieces I'm more than happy with with where we're at squad wise like I don't talking about this you mentioned the strikers before I'm quite I was fine with seeing in the last week or so last week a couple of weeks ago can't remember but when we it sounds like we're not going to pursue like a star striker or a big name striker signing or whatever. I know they've been talking about Suarez and a couple of others, whatever, but, and that's one area that I don't really think that we need, need that. Cause I think in Watkins and Ings, if you can supply them with, 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 you know, with good chances and stuff, I think they're some of the best attacking options again, outside of the top seven or eight in the league. Um, throw, I'd, I think Cameron Archer should be, our third striker this season. I think he's more, I think he's more than shown that he is ready. And it's like the England under 21 stuff scores every time he plays for him. 
you know, he's somebody that I think if you integrate him as a third choice striker, you're looking at Watkins, Ings and Archer. That's a great set of strikers for a team that aren't absolutely a top eight team. And so it's those additions that I think, like I said, need to be reflected in non-pitch progress, but make me very, very cautiously optimistic for the season ahead. I know we said this, I think, at the start of last season. There's, <laughs> there's no, but I'm going to say it again now. There's no reason Villa, there's often one team who surges from mid-table and finishes seventh or eighth or thereabouts. There's no reason at all why that can't be us. And that has to be the aim. This The realistic aim this season is that we can be that team because we can be that team. Yeah, no, you have to be realistic and you have to be ambitious too. I think there's no there's no point in sitting here and thinking, well, maybe at some point you do have to go for it. So whether that's now or never, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But let's get over to some of the transfer talk. Um, I don't want to make this too, too long for people, but uh, that's what we always do on the Holtcast. We make it nice and long and chat a lot of stuff and we hope it uh, makes a little bit of sense at least. But well, I've got... I've got to get six weeks of talking out of my system. <laughs> well, you were worried before that you wouldn't be able to talk. So there you go. <laughs> you're, you're back into fine and fit preseason or midseason form, I should say, at least, Tom. So don't worry about that. But let's we'll start with the outgoings, of course. Um, like I've mentioned, of course, Trezeguet is being linked with Turkey. Um, we're hearing a lot of things on social media in terms of it being around four or five million in, in installments and true Turkish fashion from that league. Um, you're hearing Bertrand Traore as well, uh, potentially leaving. I feel personally, I feel like if that's going to happen, um, I, I think in our, our chat before Tom, we probably agreed it was probably around like, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 million. Realistically, I feel like it's probably going to be a loan to buy if anything like that, um, depending how late that's left. Um, of course, you're still waiting on Carney Chocomeca and Dougie Louise too, seeing what's going to go on there. And I mean, we're kind of sitting there looking and of course you can bring in El Ghazi as well because I almost forgot to mention him. But you look at some of the, I guess, very external figures now in the in the side when you look at Trezeguet and El Ghazi. And I guess you can throw Traore into that to an extent of players that they honestly know that they probably don't have much of a future left and we're wondering really when they're going to move on at some point but when you look at those outgoings in particular and I know we can be thankful for their contributions at different points but you got to hope that these deals get done sooner rather than later and then really don't kind of drag on essentially because really that's only going to affect future business isn't it yeah I mean the sales of the sales of, uh, I mean, Trezeguet sounds like it's going to happen soon. Traore, we're now hearing, might not happen. He might stick around and be looked at again, which I can understand because he had such a such an injury-affected season last season. But Traore is one for me where, like, the moments of magic don't really make up for the inconsistency, the frustration, and the and, and the injury. Like, he's a player that, he brings the chaos factor I've been saying for like two years or whatever. Um, but it, that's not, that was fun for a while, but he's the kind of player that I think we're in a position now where we can, he feels like a player from a Villa of old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like we've moved on from him. And so, you know, we're never going to get the money back that we paid for him or whatever. But to be honest, like I think I've said this on, 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 on Twitter when the, Rumours were coming out about Traore going to Fenerbahce or some, I think somewhere in Turkey. Trezeguet and Traore are players that I think 
doesn't surprise it, it doesn't surprise me that it sounds like their next move after leaving Villa is going to be to Turkey. And I don't mean that with disrespect. I just mean like who's taking, you know, if you look at Traore, who really at like a top level or at least at like a mid-table Premier League level or whatever, who's going to take a punt on someone like Bertrand Traore after, okay, he had a decent season, first season for Villa, but we've raised our standards since then yeah. in terms of the, the calibre of player and also in terms of, I think, to be honest, the standards that are being demanded from the coaching staff and on the training ground, I think have been raised significantly since he was a kind of like a standout player for us. Um so I think it's time to sort of move on. And, you know, you can, like you say, like we should stop and be thankful for their contributions, particularly El Ghazi and Trezeguet, because they've come up with big goals, particularly Trezeguet. Like we wouldn't have stayed up without his goals. That's just true. But, you know, we wouldn't have got promoted without Conor Hurahan scoring against West Brom in the semi-final. And we were still all happy to move on from Conor Hurahan. You know, yeah. we all, we love, we love Conor Hurahan, but it gets to a point where you have to accept that their time is up, I think. My one of my big concerns is genuinely is shifting them. Trezeguet will yeah. go to Turkey and like all power to him. I hope he plays well. I hope he hope he's really happy there because he deserves it. I, I wonder if we're gonna have a bit of difficulty shifting Triore and El Ghazi. Like El Ghazi's stock has plummeted because of that Everton loan. It's such a shame how that worked out. He'd have been better off going on loan either to a lower well i mean i suppose everton were very low right? but either, <laughs> either to like a rele- like a, a a different relegation fighter where he would have played more or even going out on loan to like mid-table french side or somewhere like that and just playing regularly got minutes because if then he'd be firmly in the shop window and there'd be interested parties but el ghazi is another one now that after the way his season went last season how many clubs are really going to be looking at him and thinking he's the man we want to take us forward I kind of think he's unlucky, though, in a sense, Tom, though. I mean, he was brought in under a different manager, and I honestly think if that's the case and if Benitez would have stayed, I think he would have featured more. Yeah, so do I. That's true. So, I, I see, I, I don't have as much issue with him because we only bought him for what, like, I say we, the club bought him, um, for what, five or six million or something like that originally. So it's not like there was a huge, there's going to be a huge loss or maybe you can kind of get your money kind of back relatively if it's over kind of a, I don't know, a a little bit of an extended payment plan or something like that. The one that I'm massively concerned about, like you said, is Triore. Um, You basically have to sell him to other sides on the first season and basically say last season was a blip Uh, because there's no, there's no way that you use last season as a positive. He did nothing. Let's be honest. And he, I know that he had moments of magic and stuff and like I, I did I have enjoyed watching him at times, but like to me, there's no real, I get the argument, like keep him, see if he can put together a season of fitness and, and you know, see if he can impress Gerard and co. But to be honest, I kind of think that's where Leon Bailey's at. Yeah. Like Triore is one rung below Bailey and that stakes. Like we don't play with wingers. So like if you're if you're talking about keeping a winger on, on the books, trying to give them an injury-free season, and give them a bit more game time, give them time to impress. Like you're describing Leon Bailey, not Bertrand Traore for my money. I just don't really see the point in keeping Traore Traore around. I think it's, to be honest, I think it's only going to lead to more frustration. Um, So I hope that those deals get done quickly. But I mean, the, 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 the real, in terms of outgoings, the real thing that I'm concerned about is that we just, we don't know the status or the future of Carney Chuckmaker and Douglas Louise, like those things need to get sorted 
sooner rather than later. I'm at the point where like, I think having this indecision and them still in the squad, are they going to be here? Are they going to be gone or whatever? That's almost worse. I like both of them as players. I'd like to keep them both, but I'd almost rather if their heart's not in it or if we're not sure they're going to be regular starters or whatever, I'd, I'm, I'd almost rather sell them in the coming weeks, get it done with. Cause it's hard. Like we were talking about the midfield and stuff. And as I was talking to you about it, it's hard to assess where we stand because you don't know if those two players are going to be in the squad or not. Um, and so this is what I hate. You know, we had it obviously on a big, much bigger scale with like the Grealish thing last summer. I hate these transfer sagas that drag on. Like we just need to, we get our incoming business done early and that's great, but we just need to at least, you know, maybe behind the scenes they have, they, they know, like maybe behind the scenes, they know that Douglas Luiz has decided to leave and they're just trying shopping him around, trying to get the best deal for him. That could be the case. Cause we do these days we do operate with a lot of silence, you know, particularly with some of the signings we've seen come in. So that might be the case. And in a way I almost, I hope that, Gerard and Perslow and everybody behind the scenes at Villa have a much firmer idea of Chuck Wemaker and Luis's futures than, than we as fans do, because this, this uncertainty is just not a good thing. It makes it so hard to plan ahead. Well, that, that too, and you sit back and you look at someone like Chuck Wemaker and he's still so young and you kind of, I, I get a little frustrated because I'm thinking, okay, if you keep him for this season, he doesn't extend, you lose him for nothing. So at some point in my mind, you have to be bold and stick or twist. I just, for me with him looking at that, but let's move over quickly to some incomings. There hasn't been a crazy amount. Like we said, of course, Villa got a lot of their key business done very early, which almost makes, I think some people within the fan base feel very unsettled in a weird way, because maybe it's not so something we're so much used to these days, but regardless of that, of course, we've, we've heard that Connor Gallagher has been linked, of course, of Chelsea and of Crystal Palace on loan last season, West Brom previously. He's definitely improved season upon season and is probably ready for that uh, next kind of step up and hopefully finishing a little bit higher in the table if he's going to be kind of, I guess, let go eventually by Chelsea. You would figure if he's going to be sold, it's going to be for either a relatively high fee with a, I don't know, maybe a buyback clause, or he's going to be sold for a high fee. Most likely, I think it's going to be a loan. I mean, Tom, for me, I would I would love him, but at the same time, you sit back and look at the midfield we have, I feel like you probably have to shift on probably at least two of them to kind of make room for him with the amount of time that he would probably need to play. Also, if it's a loan, you basically have to guarantee him a certain amount of time. If not, it's going to be a recall situation with Chelsea because they want their young players too. And I guess the other issue with that as well is as much as I would be intrigued to see both him and Ramsey playing together beside each other, they're very similar in how they play and they like to carry the ball I don't know if two ball carriers in that situation with um, Felipe Coutinho just in front of him is maybe not the best situation. and Maybe maybe puts a little bit too much pressure on someone like Bubakar Kamara, but I mean, it would be one heck of a signing, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, it's difficult because I like, I I like him a lot. I think he's a great player. Um, Con Gallagher, I think he like, and he's got high, high ceiling, but who does he, you know, we were having this conversation before. Who does he start over? Because if with, with Kamara in the team now, you're basically looking at if we sign another midfielder now, it's gonna be either Ramsey or McGinn, who they have to replace who they have to fight with, who they have to replace. I'm I know McGinn gets McGinn divides our fan base 
I would say probably like nobody else other than obviously Tyrone Mings. Um, for me, a Villa without, I'm still at the point where a Villa without McGinn in the side is a worse Villa. And I have high hopes actually for McGinn. I'm looking forward to seeing McGinn play for us this year because I think bringing Kamara in, we might see more of that Scotland McGinn. And obviously like the levels are different and stuff, whatever. But like what I, where I see McGinn at his best is what he was like for us certainly in the championship and then a bit, I think first season we came up where I think McGinn operates really well as like a sort of doing the old Frank Lampard ghost into the box late, you know, and, and, and sweeping up a few goals. And he's, he's very good at putting the team on his back McGinn. And you do need players like that. And I just think if you hypothetically, if we're playing the hypothetical game, if you take McGinn out and you put Conor Gallagher in next to Ramsey, you're gonna, you're in danger, like you said. I think you're in danger of overloading what Bubakar Kamara has to do. And like, let's be real, Kamara looks like a very classy player and a very good player, but you've got to expect there's going to be at least some kind of adaptation period for him, right? And what you don't want to do is end up in a situation like we basically had last year, where I know that Kamara is more of an out and out DM than we had last year, but our whole balance was off for particularly the second half of last season because we didn't. We didn't really have that specialist defense midfielder. And when we did play somebody there, they were constantly overloaded. Like how worse, how much worse Douglas Louise looked in the defensive midfield role than he did when he was playing a bit further forward. And like it really limited McGinn's game, having to come back and cover and overburden. We just we had the balance of the midfield wrong. And I think now, if you look at it on paper, Kamara, McGinn, Ramsey, I think is a is a nice looking balance balance in midfield so I just think somebody like Conor Gallagher if it's going to be either alone or you're going to have to spend probably realistically 35 40 million in this market on him I I just he's not going to be happy to sit on the bench I don't I can't really see him replacing Ramsey or McGinn you know Um, so he's somebody that if he was happy to come and sit on the bench or whatever, and we could get him for a fee that isn't really that bad, which for us, I think at the moment is like 30 million. I think we're at the point now with Villa where Villa spending 25, 30 million on a player is the equivalent of us spending sort of 10, 15 million on a player a few years ago, right? Just because of general inflation and also because of where um, Sawiris and Edens are in terms of their, uh, their personal wealth. Um but I just think Gallagher, I don't think really makes very much sense. I'm on, I'm in the same book as this. If we let talk about somebody else, there's been a lot of links with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. He's somebody, again, like, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he strikes me as a, a bit of an unnecessary signing and one who I don't really think gives us something that we don't have already. And again, he's not bringing Oxlade-Chamberlain. I don't think he's starting over Ramsey or McGinn, in all honesty. Um the only thing I could really, you know, bring in the midfielder, I'd like to see, I think bringing in like another ball winner wouldn't be a bad idea. Like there've been some names thrown around. Like I really like um, Sangare at, at PSV, at PSV, I think. Um, that kind of mould of player. I know we've sort of signed one in, in Kamara, but I think it's, I think bringing in another player of that sort of mould could go a long way because you're going to pick up injuries. You're going to want to rotate or whatever. Ramsey and McGinn, I think, are probably good enough to play, even with international duty or whatever, probably good and fit enough and everything to play easily 35 games out of 38. Um, and I think they will, um, realistically. So I think maybe adding another midfielder is obviously not a bad idea, but it's a difficult balance, right? Because they have to be happy to potentially 
only play in rotation, but they also have to be good enough to 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 potentially replace either of Ramsey and McGinn. And at this point for a team who aren't in the top eight, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, what, I, what I will say is the way that Villa have gone recently, I do think we've got one more kind of bombshell signing left in us. I just get, you get that feeling now with Villa these yeah. days, there's always the chance of that. And we're still very early in the summer, right? Are you really telling me we're going to go, but I don't know when the window shuts. Is it like start of September as it's used to be, or is it earlier because of this season's weird? Probably poor podcast hosting on my part, but I generally have <laughs> zero clue to be honest, but, but e- I would imagine e- so. Even if it's like a bit earlier and it's late August or something like that, instead of start, de- start of September, you're really telling me that Villa are going to go another two months and all we're going to do is sign a backup left back. It just doesn't feel right. Do you know what I mean? From this current iteration of Villa. And so one thing, if we're just throwing names out there and we're talking about it, like, I saw something, we were chatting about this. I saw something before we came on that Fabrizio Romano, the Oracle, um, said that City are willing to let like Sinchenko leave. And obviously you'd get the issue of like, where does he fit or whatever? But we know that he said he wants to play in midfield. He sees himself as a midfielder. He wants to play in midfield. He's the kind of player where I think if he becomes available and, and, and Villa is a realistic destination for him from his point of view, for me, he has that quality where you, if there's a deal to be done, you do that deal and you bring him in and then you work out how you're going to work him into the team. Like he's he's got that quality for me that I think that talking about players like Oxlade-Chamberlain, certainly there's a big gulf for me between those two players. I just, I just don't see the value in bringing in somebody of Oxlade-Chamberlain's profile and ability because I don't really think it improves us. Whereas if we if an option does come up to bring in a player who adds another level similar to like bringing in Coutinho did or like, you know, the upgrade Luca Dina over target, I think fair to say clear upgrade in terms of just class of player. If there's an option to do, do a deal like that for somebody, then I'm all for it. And I'm all for having the conversation about do you replace Ramsey or McGinn? But it has to be somebody who is quite clearly a pathway to the next level for us, you know. Well, that's the thing too, like with Chamberlain, I think, again, you don't really get anything different. Um, I mean, I know they're differing positions and I know Chamberlain used to be a winger when he played more so for Arsenal, but in my mentality, when it comes to in- records of injury and all that kind of stuff, it almost feels like, well, you might as well just keep what you got and roll with it. Cause I mean, Chamberlain's had injury issues his whole career. It feels like been very inconsistent in that. So, I mean, at 28, I think it'll be what 29, uh, before the season or something like that as well. Um, I mean, again, yeah, okay, it's an experienced player. He's he's won the Champions League. He's won the Premier League. But aside from being a, a part player in that, honestly, it doesn't really offer anything except you're paying someone else probably even higher wages than you want to in that position because he's not going to start. Let's be honest. He's not better than McGinn. He's not better than Ramsey. I'd rather play Doug Louise as well. So I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's an easy link when you have someone with a, a year left and you hear that Liverpool might let him go for like 10 odd million or something like that. And just to mention, of course, apparently the window closes for the Premier League on Thursday, September 1st at 11. Oh, so it is, it is still yeah. the same. Yeah. So there's, different. there's flexibility in that with the season kind of going on for almost nearly a month, really. Um, I, I guess you might be able to see a few things, give people some chances and try some things out. Yeah. But I mean, at, at this point in time with Villa, I mean, do you really want to leave it to that with certain players? Now, again, one or two players that could kind of be great additions 
bit part players, you might see those players come along at that point, but you'd think for key additions, you don't want to wait that long. And I guess the last one we can mention is probably to me, it's the most humorous because I cannot really see this happening. And I think this only becomes really relevant or even, I guess, conversation worthy is because uh, Steven Gerrard mentioned him, I think at the champions league final, when he was a, um, a, a commentator at some point, of course, that is Gareth Bale. If you haven't figured that out, who will be 33 next month um, at time of recording in June, of course, it'll be 33 in July, but really all that I've seen Gerard say about him. And that's probably where this story has really come from is it's a shame that he doesn't get the appreciation he deserves in terms of his contribution over that period, of course, at Real Madrid and what he's going to uh, go away with in terms of his CV. It's a shame that he never got a chance to come onto the pitch tonight. Of course, the Champions League final, which they beat Liverpool, of course, in time and it's years to come. He'll look back and think, I've won this five times. No one can say anything towards him. Um, To really take that and then go to the next level and say, oh, Gerard must want him at Villa. It's... uh, it's a very, very long shot and not even in terms of whether Gareth Bale will be interested in coming to Villa, but would Villa really want Gareth Bale, who will be 33, who had one season loan at Spurs, which he was very much in and out. It took basically half a season to get up to speed. Um, Let's be realistic. I feel like at this point of his career, his main priority is success in getting Wales in international competitions as deep as they can and golfing and that's probably about it for him the man has won the champions league five freaking times i really don't think he really cares with the amount of money he's made over what nine seasons at real madrid and previously to spurs that he could be too bothered for my mind tom you probably get the good start of the season with him maybe but again he hasn't played that much even last season so how long will it take him to get up to speed so maybe you get him for a quarter of a season before that and then depending on how he comes back after um, the World Cup, will he even be that bothered um, is one thing, too. So, I mean, for me, it's a massive no-go, but uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I, you're not you're not going to get me saying a bad word about Gareth Bale from the Welsh perspective anyway, <laughs> as an uh, absolute icon, Wales is goat. But he's... He's somebody that, like, as a Wales, as a, as, as you know, as, as a half Welshman and a Wales supporter, I absolutely love him. But I think you hit the nail on the head that you know, whoever signs Bale is going to know that, like, way. I think Wales are always going to be his 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 priority in terms of passion and commitment and everything. So I should preface this by saying that saying that I don't for a second believe that Villa are going to sign Gareth Bale. I just don't, I just don't really think it makes very much sense. I don't see, I think he's like, he's, he's still class. He's a really top class player, but he's not going to be somebody you're going to integrate for the long term. Like, you know, Coutinho, what turns 30 this summer, is it? Like he's, and he's off the class and the type of player and the age where we can still build around Coutinho for at least the next couple of years. You know, you wouldn't get that with Bale at all. One season. That's if we're it. if we're playing full hypotheticals, the only the only situation in which I would consider, I would say, all right, yeah, Villa signed Bale like this, is if he signed a contract that was a maximum of one year in length. Because I think if you brought him in on like a temporary deal and maybe the pay structure was nice, so not necessarily pay as you play, because that's not that common. And uh, there are going to be people who'd be willing to pay Bale quite a lot of money still. But I think you'd get a good few months out of him up until the World Cup. 
because he's going to have both eyes firmly fixed on the World Cup. And that's actually okay if he signs for your club. That's fine until the World Cup because he's going to want to be getting himself in form, sharpness or whatever. So that would be fine. But then you'd then immediately be asking the question, what happens after the World Cup? Yeah. You know, like how much does he really care? Like not to cast too much, too many aspersions on like his commitment or whatever, but we've seen it a bit at Real Madrid that like he definitely puts Wales first these days. And as a Welshman, that's great. But as a Villa fan, it's not necessarily what I want to build on or build around, you know, uh, for, for, from, a, from a Villa fan perspective, which obviously Villa come first for me in terms of support and pure, pure obsession <laughs> and everything. Yeah. So I'd rather see him do somewhere, do well at a different club and then do really well for Wales in the World Cup and let's just leave Villa out of the equation completely. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, in, in the links being made too, of course, they also mentioned Spurs, which is an easy one, of course, because um, that's where he kind of made his rise within the football world, of course, and then he's being linked with us, a club with money. In and then I saw New- Newcastle as well. They well, all strike me a lot as, of money. They so. all strike me as very lazy links. And it's just, yeah. you know, I think the, just just going back to the midfield and Bale doesn't fit into this really but going back into the midfield question the only thing I will say about the the central midfield and stuff is that I think the conversation about bringing people like Gallagher or even Oxlade-Chamberlain that conversation becomes very different if we lose more than one of Louise, Chuck Wemaker and Sanson if two of those three go all of a sudden we're looking not as deep as we'd like to be in what you'd call the number eight positions, certainly. Because like number six, I feel pretty good about now with Kamara, Nakamba, Arugbanum, who I think will go out on loan, but you'll put a recall thing in. So like if Nakamba gets a bad injury and we need a defensive mid- midfield backup, you bring Arugbanum back and you know that he's stepped up already. He's slotted in already last year. Number eight, currently we're stacked, but if we lose two of Luis, Sanson and Chukwameka, suddenly you're looking at Ramsey, McGinn, Sanson. And that would be it, right? If we lost Louise and Chukwameka, or am I missing somebody? <laughs> Can't remember. No, I think I think you're about right there. I'm just kind of scrolling through Twitter stuff. So I look like I'm in a daze. That's why. But the amount of Villa links that are now being brought up, I mean, so then, um, so then, like that, that becomes a different conversation for me. Yeah, if we lose yeah. more midfielders, you know, currently I'm pretty happy with where we're at. Well, no, same here. And I mean, like just going through Twitter right now, you see people talking about, oh, well, aging Rabio. Um, might be one that he's supposed to leave Juventus next summer. I mean, I think people are, just, and I see something about Hoiberg as well being allowed to leave. I think people are just kind of picking at straws and kind of applying them to X, Y, and Z. Um, to to me, if, to be honest, if we're talking about the midfield midfield again here for a second, there has to be an outgoing before an incoming, or it's yeah. an incoming with an immediate outgoing. Like yeah. there's there's no way if if you see that move, most likely, like for example, if it was a Zinchenko or whoever or Gallagher or whatever. Um, for me, because of course, like you said, Zinchenko has a bit of interest in playing in midfield now. Um, and of course, for a second thing, he's a fantastic left back. And that is great to have as a secondary option as well. If something happens with Luca Dini as well. So you look at that and you think, okay, but from the kind of a, a back end perspective at the football club, things have been signed. The, the dots and lines have been whatever crossed and dotted, whatever, like that's all been done for whoever to leave you're, you're not bringing in another midfielder without someone leaving i, I yeah. think we can all agree on that yeah and i mean you don't really get more legit than Fabrizio romano saying that sinchenko wants to leave and i mean there's not really any links 
with him and Villa in particular, but I mean, you do see a lot of Villa fans kind of going and saying they would love him. And I mean, for me, it, it, it's exciting because you're seeing the rise of the club, not only in, I guess, fandom and stature and kind of discussion about these kind of players, because realistically, a lot of these players would have been a pipe dream, but it's became a reality where now expectations are higher and we can sign these players. And we're at that stage where they do believe in the project and do want to come to Villa because let's be honest, I can remember a time not too long ago where it was very hard to get anyone half decent. Um, I mean, I remember signing uh, when we signed concrete Ron Vlar and being very excited. And let's be honest, he was all right. He wasn't very good at times. Um, or we signed players with a little bit of upside that we kind of maybe put over the edge thinking, oh, you know what, they might be better eventually um, than they are now. And it just never worked out. And you could probably list off like a million of them, it feels like. But regardless of that, I, I think the main important thing without rambling on too long is just to keep in mind that it's a summer. A lot of things are going to be linked. Some might be true. Some might not be true at all. Some might be kind of in progress and then, you know what, you hear a lot and then you don't hear anything because they fell through. It's all part of the window. I, I, I guess the best way is to kind of quote Simon O'Regan. I won't believe anything until he's holding a Villa shirt on the official Villa social media accounts. And best, I think that's the best the way. Best, yeah, it's the best policy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's, it seems like a good way to sign off. It's just that like talking about all these players, you know, couldn't even have imagined have having had this conversation even like 18 months ago right it's just it's a real good it's a real sign of where we're aiming and the progress we've made and it's you know it's just nice to be in the conversation we wouldn't have had a hope in hell of attracting any of these players we've discussed like 18 months ago or whatever so it's a good it's a good indicator of Villa's progress isn't it Long oh exactly it it, it, it's about making that next step up that we've talked about a million times in the last hour or so and being ambitious and kind of going in without a bit of fear, less fear. And I, I think that's the thing really I'm starting to slowly come around more to the fact of just being confident and going into every game saying, you know what, we have the squad, we can do it. Cause at the end of the day, you know what, it, this is the side we all love. This is a sport we all love. What's the point of being super negative unless we get trounced every week or something like that. I don't think we're any any threatened of being in a relegation scrap or anything like that. Of course, we didn't think so in 2015 and 2016, and then it happened. So we'll have to wait and see. But regardless, I think that's a good way to wrap things up. So we'll leave it at that, at that I should say. But uh, anyways, thank you very much to Tom for joining me. Of course, you can find him on Twitter at TD Nightingale. You can find me on Twitter at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 Holt. If you have anything you want to share with us, say, read out on the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com as well. We should be back in the next uh, week or two weeks, I would imagine, unless major news comes out about a signing or something like that. So who knows? We could be back in a few days. But anyways, we'll leave it there. And don't forget, up the villa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.